Turn in your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. The text tonight is verse 6. Matthew 5, verse 6. I want to speak from several different uh, passages of Scripture, but this is the text. And the, the title or the subject of the message tonight is, How Do You Have Revival? How Do You Have Revival? May we pray together. Our Father, we thank Thee for this time to be together in God's house. For all that we've experienced, the beautiful songs and the reminder that You hide our souls in the cleft of Your rock. We thank You that Thou art a rock in a weary land. We pray that tonight our hearts would be opened and that You would send revival to our own hearts first and then to this whole area at Riverside and Warren County and Bowling Green. That this will be a time of spiritual seed sowing, of harvest, and of change in our lives. We pray, Father, that this would also be the beginning of the Good News America God Loves You revival that will sweep across the whole nation of America in 1986. Have thy way in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you have revival? Well, years ago, there was a great revival in Welsh, in, in Wales. And a man uh, got hungry for revival, and he decided to go over to that land and just see what was going on and where the revival was. So he took a train, it was back in the days of the trains, and he took a train, and he got off at a certain little town, and there was a policeman standing on the corner. And so this uh, Englishman said to the policeman, Sir, I've heard about the great Welsh revival. I wonder if you could tell me where it is. And that policeman leaned back against the wall of a building, and he put his hand on his chest and said, Sir, the revival's right here. Yeah. Now that's where revival starts. Somebody said, if you want a revival, get alone with God, draw a circle around yourself, and ask God to send revival in that circle. That's where revival starts. Revival doesn't start with the masses. Years and years ago, there was a man named Jeremiah Lamphere who lived in the years before America became a, a nation. And on September 23, 1757, his heart became greatly exercised for revival. And he asked God to send revival. He sent word to some of his friends that he was going to meet at noon at a church on Fulton Street. And he asked them to join him there. He said, I'm going to pray for revival during the noon hour. He went there and the first day he was there by himself. And he spent that little while at lunchtime in prayer for revival. Again, he sent messages to his friends and asked them to come and join him the next day. The next day there were three of them. Pretty soon before the week, over there, week was over, there were about seven of them. And in a few weeks, there were hundreds of people attending that noonday prayer meeting. And that was the beginning of a great spiritual awakening. It is called the Fulton Street Prayer Meeting. And revival grew out of that. The Bible says, Who hath despised the day of small things? We ought not to be discouraged when there are just a handful of people that care about revival. Because if the handful can get our hearts right with God and get spiritually concerned for revival, God will send revival. Jesus said, 
in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are they who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Maybe one of the reasons there is not a great revival going on is because there's not much hunger. There's not much thirst for revival. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, verse 9, I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? And my friend, when we have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, that's revival. That's an individual revival. The Bible says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption, but let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 and 31. That is a formula for revival. Now, if we're to have revival at this place, if we're to have revival in Bowling Green, in Warren County, and in America, I think there are three ingredients. Number one, confession. There needs to be a confession of our need. A confession of our need. Years ago, Anna Warner, who lived from 1820 to 1915, wrote the words of a song that we seldom sing. But it's beautiful, and it expresses the desire for revival. We would see Jesus for the shadows lengthen across this little landscape of our life. We would see Jesus, our weak faith to strengthen for the last weariness, the final strife. We would see Jesus the great rock foundation whereon our feet were set by sovereign grace. Not life or death with all their agitation can thence remove us if we see his face. We would see Jesus. Other lights are paling, which for long years we have rejoiced to see. The blessings of our pilgrimage are failing. We would not mourn them, for we go to thee. We would see Jesus. This is all we're needing, strength, joy and willingness come with a sight we would see jesus dying risen pleading then welcome day and farewell mortal night Amen. now that's a song that some what some believe speaks of dying and speaks of speak of going to heaven and there's a sense in which that's true but i want to tell you revival comes when we see jesus that's the reason that's the reason sometimes when we're, I can take care of that. Now, when we see, sometimes when we're having uh, real trouble in our lives and we're about, we're, one of our loved ones is about to go down the valley into death and we stand by and we see that loved one point to heaven and speak about the things of God. Now, what kind of, what, what happens in your heart? There comes some kind of a joy. There comes some kind of a renewal. There comes some kind of a spiritual power I've seen many people get saved because of the testimony of a dying man or a dying woman. Just recently, we've seen that happen at our church. Several people have come to Christ because of the testimony of someone going down the valley. 
And I want to tell you, that's revival. And someone else said, if it takes my death, I want revival. So revival comes, first of all, when we confess our need and we say, Lord, I don't have what I, have, what I need. I don't have what I want. I need something more than I have. We're so content with what we have. And the scripture says be content with what you have. But it's talking about material things. But sometimes we're so content with our attitudes, with our dispositions, with our church attendance, with what we're doing in Sunday school, with bringing the various people we have and, and using the talents we have and so on. And that's good. But my friend, we ought to have full churches everywhere. There ought not to be even empty benches. And when there are, it ought to bother us. It ought to disturb us. We need to confess our need to God. That's what was meant when God said to Solomon in the long ago when he was dedicating the temple. It was a glorious temple, beautiful in every respect. As a matter of fact, it was so splendid that years later, the queen of Sheba came and said, not half has ever been told. All of its gold and all of its ornaments and all of its precious stones and all of its ivory and all the things that are in that beautiful temple, ivory towers and everything, it, you could not tell half of it. Well, Solomon dedicated that, and right during the dedication, young lady, you've got to listen to me, all right? Just watch right over here. I want you to see what color my eyes are, all right? You can tell me after church tonight, all right? Now, Solomon was dedicating the temple, and during that wonderful experience, God said something to him. He said, Solomon, this is beautiful. This is great. But I want to tell you, there, there may come a time when my people won't love me as much as they do now. There may come a time we'll, we'll get sluggish. We'll not have our spiritual uh, forces all about us. We'll not be really involved like we are now. And then God said, Solomon, if that ever happens, remember this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And all through the years when God's people have gotten to a point in life where we recognize that's true. We do not have all we need. We do not have all we want. And we begin to confess to God our needs and cry unto Him and bring unto Him our desires and our heart cries. God hears and God answers. There are some conditions. He said, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves. It means we have to get off our haughty, haughty high horse and uh, acknowledge that we're not everything we ought to be. We need to humble our hearts in God's sight. Pride goeth before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. And so many times we're so filled with pride, we're so filled with ourselves that we fail to realize we need humility. We need to humble ourselves in God's presence. And so if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. And secondly, if my people not only will humble themselves but pray, Prayer is the greatest force in the universe. It is the one thing that moves the hand of God. I do not know what God is going to do with Tammy Ham, very precious Christian, preacher's wife over at the hospital at Medical Center. She has a very serious malignancy. As of last Saturday, she was going down, down, down. And there was a severe pain and she was uh, under awful trial. And they were having to give her pain shots every little while. 
and she was in serious condition. Of course, she still is. But Sunday night, we had a time of prayer, and God moved on that service. Brother Johnny drew a beautiful drawing. All of our hearts were moved in thoughts and prayer, asking God if he could, if he would, if it would honor him to perform a miracle, that she would be healed. I'm not claiming anything. I'm not a charismatic, and I do not say for sure what God is going to do. I'm not dictating to God, but I want to tell you, Monday she was better. And there's been some improvement. She's been able to use her arm that was paralyzed. And her speech is a little bit better. And the pain is less. I do not know what God is doing. But I'm going to tell you this. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, God moves in when we pray. Not only when we pray, but if we'll confess that we have a need to, to, to seek His face. That means look toward him instead of away from him. Lots of people are running away from God. Do you know that? God will whisper to our hearts and we'll run. Or we get so busy listening to the television, listening to the radio, uh, listening to our music, listening to all kinds of things, being with our friends and so on. We're so busy. The poet said the world is too much with us. We're surrounded by it all the time. And instead of running to the Lord, we seem to run away from him. We run with our friends. We get fill our, every moment, every time, every little moment we have, we fill it with other things so that we cannot seek His face. And He says, if you want to have revival, seek His face. Turn toward Him. And then He says, turn from your wicked ways. There has to be some repentance, some acknowledgement to God that we need something we do not have. That there's been sin in the camp, sin in the church. Sin in the family, sin in our lives, and turn from our wicked ways. The Holy Spirit can apply that. But I want to tell you there are lots of wicked ways in men and women tonight. And I could take hour after hour talking about the sins in Warren County and Bowling Green and in Kentucky and in this nation. And those sins make God sick. But the sin that really makes God sick is the sin of Christians, God's people. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, I know your works. You neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Listen, some of the greatest Christians I've ever known have been children. Do you know that? I've seen children sit in church and listen with all their heart and all their mind. And they didn't have to write notes and scatter around and talk and all that kind of thing. They listened because they had a heart for God. Amen. Same way with teenagers. I've known some great Christian teenagers who listened. They were in God's house and they listened with all their heart. And I've watched them grow. And I've watched them become adults. And many times God has used that kind of person. I've watched adults who put their whole shoulder to the wheel and said, Lord, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to get rid of these old things out of my life that I don't need. These old tattered garments, and the old trashy ways. I'm going to put them aside and I'm going to walk with the king. And God says, I'll honor you if you do that. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, confessing to God, I have a need. Oak Forest Church has a need. 
Bowling Green has a need. We need you, God. We want to seek your face. Then he says, I'll do, I'll do some things for you. I'll, I'll listen to you. I'll hear from heaven. I won't ignore you. I won't stop my ears up. There's a passage of scripture that says, because of sin, God stops his ears and he can't hear you because of your sins. God says, if you'll do what I ask you to do in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, I won't stop my ears. I'll listen to you. I'll hear you. And I'll forgive your sin. Have you ever realized what wonderful joy it is to be forgiven? Have you ever sinned and felt terribly guilty about that sin and then been forgiven of that sin? Isn't that great? God says that's what you'll experience. You'll be forgiven. And then he said, I'll heal your land. I'll heal you. You don't have to go on bearing the reproach. I'll heal you. This all comes about when we are honest with God and confess to him our need. Now, the second ingredient for revival has to do with compassion. If you'll turn your Bible to Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6, listen to this. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And over in Romans chapter 9, Paul said, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And in Romans 10, 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. If we're going to see real revival, not only must we confess to God our need and hang on to the, all, the horns of the altar and get before God and say, Lord, I need you. I need something I don't have. But secondly, we need to ask Him for compassion because we don't have it. Somebody said, well, where can I get love? I want to love people like I ought to love them. We hear a lot of songs about love. And do you know that most of us don't love like we ought to love? We just don't have it. It's not natural to us. Most of us are selfish. Did you know the old Adamic nature is selfish? Me and my son John, and uh, that's about all. That's all we care about, ourselves. Our own family, that's it. But God says, when we really get full of Him... Our thoughts are going to turn to others. There's going to be a compassion. There's going to be a reach out from our souls to the souls and hearts and lives and needs of others. The psalmist said, Lord, help me to have that kind of a heart. He that sows in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing sheaves with him. How can we go out of here tonight filled with compassion and love bring some other boys and girls and teenagers and men and women, mothers and daddies to this meeting. How can we do that? We'll have to ask God for the compassion. Lord, help me to love like you love. What was it that led Jesus to leave the glory of heaven and come down here for you, for you, for me, for all of us? It wasn't statistics. He wouldn't think, well, let's see, there are about 4 billion people in the world. Now, all those 4 billion people, it wasn't that at all. Now, I know he knows everything. He knows the hairs of our head. He knows the sparrow when it falls. He attends the funeral of every little bird. But I want to tell you, God knew our names. 
He knew us individually. And he got concerned about this lady right here, and this lady right here, and this man back here, and this man over here, and this boy right here. He got concerned about individuals, and he came. You know how I know he got concerned about individuals? He was walking along the seaside one day, and he saw Peter over there, and he said, Peter, come and follow me. He went to the city of Capernaum. He didn't say, hey, Capernaum, everybody in Capernaum, come. He said, Matthew, leave your tax collecting, come follow me. He knew their names. And he does the same thing. And, and you and I, that's the way we're going to get people. One by one. We're not going to reach the multitudes. We're not going to reach the masses. Except as we reach them one by one. And Paul said, I could wish myself accursed. Go to hell. If I could win one of my brothers in the Jewish faith to Jesus. So let's ask God for that kind of compassion. Do you think tonight of somebody that needs God? Some friend? They don't have to live in this area. They can live anywhere. But you could call them on the telephone and say, go with me to church tomorrow. You could call them on the phone and urge them to go with you and get going for God. Now, there's one more ingredient and, and then I'll be through. Not only must there be the confession of our need and the compassion that only can come as God gives it to us as we request it. But there needs to be the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. If you look in your Bible at John chapter 16, listen to this. Nevertheless, this is the, these are the words of the Lord. I tell you the truth, it is ex expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit is the one that does the winning. He is the convictor. And unless the Holy Spirit brings conviction here tonight, there won't be any. Unless the Holy Spirit uses us and moves through us, to touch, to knock on somebody's door. They may come and say, I'm not interested. But you know what they're saying? They're not saying, I'm not interested to you. They're saying, I'm not interested to the Holy Spirit. And that's very dangerous. If you're full of the Holy Spirit. You can call somebody on the phone and say, I want to urge you to come be with me in the service. And they say, no, I'm not coming. They're not saying no to you. They're saying no to the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that invites people spiritually if we're full of the Holy Spirit. Now, we can do all those things in the flesh. We can go out and knock on doors and ring telephones and write letters and do all that and think, boy, how good I am doing this, and that's pretty self-centered. But if we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us, to take possession, to, to fill us with himself, and we say, Holy Spirit, use me, use me, and then believe that he's doing it, he'll do it. The Holy Spirit is the one that brings the conviction. Now the Holy Spirit can't fill a dirty life. He doesn't, he doesn't pour himself in power into a life that's filled with dirt. You, you have a glass of, if I ask you for a glass of water, came to your home and you brought me a glass and had dead roaches in the bottom and dirt and little old sand things and bugs swimming around it and you said, here, do you, do you think I'd drink it? First of all, you wouldn't offer it to me. Do you think I'd drink it? No, you wouldn't either. You know what you'd do? You'd go 
rinse the cup out or the glass out. Rinse it out a couple times and, and do whatever you have to do to make it clean. And then you'd bring a fresh, clean glass of water. And that's what God wants offered to him. He wants a clean life offered to him. So that as the Holy Spirit convicts us and makes us aware of the dirt and the trash and the filth and the things that are, that are there that ought not to be there, and we confess all that and we just get it clean, then God begins to fill us. And he fills us with himself. The Holy Spirit will use us. Years ago, Dr. R.A. Torrey, who was president of Moody Bible Institute, tells the story of uh, his youth. He said when he was a young man, he lived out on a farm near Seneca, New York, and they had a beautiful home, but there was no water on the farm. And so they wanted water. And the, the father said, well, we'll just dig a well. And so they sent the men in. They came out and, and, and they digged that well and went down, down, down 125 feet and met a gusher, a vein of water that was a gusher. And it filled that thing up. And it was such a gusher that it just gushed on up and it threatened to undermine the foundation of that house. And so after a few days, they had to go and uh, ask somebody to come out, some men that knew how to do it. And they started pumping that water out. And it was gushing in so much that they had to let a man down. It was like that for years. And finally, several years later, the father said, we, we've got a nice well here and we've got a vein of water. Here's what we'll do. We'll get some masonry men to come out here and put rocks all around that well. And then we'll let the water back in. So they came out and did that. And they put all those rocks around it and rocked the well clear down 125 feet. And then on a certain day, they said to a man who had never been there before, they said, now, down in the bottom of this well, there's an old rug, rag rug that's stuck into that vein of water. We're going to lower you down. Now, we've got to do this real, uh, in a synchronized way. You take this bell with you, and when you've got hold of that old rag rug, you ring the bell, and we'll start pulling you out because that water will gush in. And so the man went down there, and he looked, and he looked, and he looked, and he looked, and he finally found that old rag rug that had been there for several years. He got hold of it and rang the bell, and they began to pull him. And as he pulled, he pulled that old rag rug out. And here comes the water in there, and it fills that, that, uh, f that well up, and it's a fresh water, and it's wonderful water, delicious water. All those years, the vein of water had been there, but it had been plugged up by an old rag rug. Now, friend, when you and I get saved, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we let an old rag rug of enmity, ill will, sin, some kind of something, stand in the way of letting that water flow through us into the lives of others. And we feel empty, and we feel barren, and we, don't, we get thirsty. And what we really need to do is find out what that old rag rug is. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's some old sin, some old petty thing, not, not even something big enough to talk about, but just something between your heart and God. Maybe it's some old grudge, ill will or something. And pull that rag rug out and let God's water flow through you again. And God will do that. And he'll bless you. Let's bow together in prayer, please. Every head bowed, eyes closed for just a moment. We've tried to talk about revival tonight.
The way to have revival is to confess to God our need. Just come to him bankrupt, spiritually a pauper. And then ask him for compassion and love, which we don't have. And then ask him to look into our hearts and point to that sin which doth so easily beset us. And ask God to help us get rid of it. And he'll do that. Would you tonight be that honest with God? Say, Lord, I want a personal revival. Oh, I want a personal revival so much in my heart. I certainly want a revival at the old Oak Forest Baptist Church. But Lord, I first want a revival in my heart. Not the deacon, not the preacher. But it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Ask God for what he wants to give you. Would you do that? Ask him for revival, spiritual, personal revival. Let's confess every known sin to God and ask him to cleanse us. As you try to pray right now, if there's a blank wall and you can't pray, ask God, Lord, what is it that's standing in the way? Visualize it. As he brings it to your mind, Say, Lord, if you'll give me the grace and the strength and the life to do it, I'll go take care of that matter. I won't get rid of it. Now, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, you're not sure you're saved, not positive beyond the shadow of a doubt, I want to plead with you right where you sit to just say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I want to give my heart to you, ask you to cleanse me and save me if I've never been saved. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to be in the meeting tonight. We pray that I will help all of us here to examine our hearts that there might be a real revival in Jesus' name. Amen. May we stand, please. What song are we going to sing? 249, just as I am without one plea. Brother Johnny is going to be standing here at the front. Now I want to ask you this, 249, most of us know this song, we've sung it all our lives. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. I wonder if there's somebody here tonight who would say, Brother Johnny, dear Lord, I want a real revival in my heart. That's what I crave. I, I, I recognize that I need it and I want it in my heart. And I want to pay the price by whatever is necessary in my life, whatever kind of arrangements ought to be made. I want to make them because I want revival in my heart and I want revival in our church. Would you be willing to say that to the Lord? And if you're not saved, you're not sure you're saved, I want to urge you to come to Christ. While we begin to sing, is there somebody who will step out for Christ tonight?